The following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. For advertising information or to find more great podcasts, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com and follow us on Twitter at RealTheUnderdog. You're listening to the Underdog Sports NBA Show with host Tyler Laurie and Zandrick Ellison. Brought to you by Underdog Sports. Tune in every week as Tyler and Zan recap the biggest storylines and news in the NBA. Welcome to episode 135 of the Underdog Sports NBA show. I am Tyler Laurie and I'm joined as always by my co-host out on the best coast, Zandrick Ellison. Zan, how are you today? Doing well. How do you feel? Because we're about seven games in for most teams. Out of 72. So, you know, it's not an insignificant portion. Do you feel like it's basketball season yet? Or are you still thinking about the college playoffs, thinking about the NFL playoffs? Well, where's your focus right now? Well, I'm glad the NFL regular season is over. Uh, took a little bit of a beating on Bovada Sportsbook back in week 17, thanks to the Dallas Cowboys. So, I uh, I feel good about the NBA season right now. It's weird, you know, the news of we're taping a day later than we normally do, but the news of Kevin Durant missing a week because he's on the COVID protocol list and the NBA changing their COVID protocols to like wear masks on the bench and stuff like that was kind of the first big news about it after the like Harden and the Rockets and stuff a week ago. But I feel like the NBA season's gone pretty well so far. I feel like there's been good talent i also feel like there's a so far a lot of parody right like i feel like everybody's like three and three four and three two and three it doesn't feel like you know we talked about how good we thought brooklyn was and now there's three and four and i we talked about how good we thought atlanta was and i think they're four and three the knicks are four and three it, it just feels like there's it feels like we're gonna have a pretty fun regular season right and you're right we're 10 percent into the year pretty much now right and and i guess it's a benefit in a weird way of the NBA where it feels like the regular season is not super important. So, like, Hey, Kevin Durant's going to miss a week or two. Not a big deal. You know, it doesn't feel like it's going to drastically shift the the balance of power. Well, it, it's interesting when you, you say that because we're going to talk about some teams that are, have been big disappointments so far. And there's clearly two that have been the biggest disappointments, I think in each conference. But when we originally talked about, we were going to talk about like Toronto and Denver and I kind of, and we were going to talk about like, are those the two teams that should be circling James Harden? Because it, it's pretty clear, like Houston is better, I think, than people thought they'd be. But Harden is disinterested, I would say. But it's, I wondered if like we should include Brooklyn in that category of like, hey, is it is it time to like think like maybe we should make this deal for Harden? Like maybe we should just do everything we can to make Houston tell us no. Because with Durant missing some time, you'd expect Kyrie to miss some time and the Dinwiddie right. injury. And, and like, there was a lot of people who were like, oh, the Dinwiddie thing ruins it. But Houston's not trading for, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie this season and thinking that's like the difference in their franchise. It would be about picks. It would be, I guess, about Levert for whatever reason. If you traded for Dinwiddie's contract this year and assumed that he's going to be a free agent, which I think he's got a player option, right? Like you, right. you might do it anyway, right? If you're trying to save money and open up your cap sheet, you might do that anyway. I definitely think I'm not panicking about Brooklyn, even if they go three and eight, you know, without Durant. Yeah, he's going to miss four games, they said. Right. right. So they're three and four now. I, there are a lot of shades. We talked about it last week about it feels like the Clippers last year a little bit, two superstars and some fairly big names on the bench that don't really fit. I am pretty like sold on the idea that they need to trade 
I don't think they need to totally like overhaul. I think they just need better surrounding pieces. Like I'm just out on Karis LeVert. I'm sorry. Yeah, you you really don't like Karis LeVert. I think you're you don't like the aesthetics. Well, I think it's the classic. There's no players more overrated in the NBA than the guy who is putting up scoring numbers on a bad team. And and I I would count Brooklyn in that they weren't like terrible. They were you know mediocre. But it's like Kyle Kuzma or whatever. It's like, oh my God, he averaged 18 points a game on the Lakers. He's a star. He's like, no, he's the best of a bad lot. You know, it's like, it's like they're going to the Miss Universe competition. It's like, oh, this is Miss, you know, Bosnia Herzegovina or something. I'm going like, to cu- I'm have to cut this, aren't I? What's your <laughs> no, no, I'm just saying it's like, you're a big fish in a small pond. And then like, once you get out there with like the actual heavy hitters, it's like, you're just not bringing it at a championship yeah. level. The the big issue with Levert right now is he's just, his two-point shooting is like falling off a cliff. And he's never and, been like an electric right. and shooter. And I hate to be like, I hate to be like over stats guy, but true shooting percentage for his career. 56% first year. Really promising. That's probably when he got a lot of his hype. Down to 53, down to 51, down to 51. It's at 44 this year. I mean, he's just like a below average efficiency guy. I mean, we would we would expect him, even if he picks his true shooting percentage back up to his career average, we'd expect Levert to be a plus player for them, I think. Because, you know, he is a, he is a guy averaging, I think he's averaging close to six assists a game. I think he was at like five and a half assists and like five rebounds. And again, he's only playing 26 minutes. Right. So he is. No, you're right. And, he, and it's not, he is it's responsible not always about shooting. running some of their it's, offense. Yeah, he's not a great shooter. He's like a pretty good playmaker. He's injured a lot. He's 26 already. I, yeah, just, I didn't. I forgot he was that old. I, when you were mentioning his careers, it feels like he's like a second-year player. Honestly, it really does because he missed a whole year, but he's fifth-year right. player now. Yeah, is he older than Anthony Davis? Let's say <laughs> he's 26, born in no, August. He's 94. not. He's, he's not, not old. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah, Anthony's 27. Old Anthony Davis. Um, Who's the new Anthony Davis? Where it's Jason Tatum, right? Where like every single player you measure against, you're like, is he older than so and so? Because like, or Devin, Devin Booker, Booker yeah. Because yeah. like Devin Booker feels like he's been around forever. This is literally his seventh year in the NBA, and he's 24 years old. Just turned 24 years old too. I wonder. That's going to be the Slender Man in a couple of years, and when he's averaging like 31 <laughs> and 10 on 58 percent three point shooting, and he's 21 years old, I'm really. Excited. But I'm not overly worried about Brooklyn. I mean, do you think the thing that I would worry about from Brooklyn's point of view is more? Um, Milwaukee doesn't have a great record, but they look pretty much the same, and and Philly's looking really good. So, like, it's hard for me to say Brooklyn's a clear number two right now. Yeah, I would say that the three teams that have. <laughs> you know, it's funny, like everyone just trashes Milwaukee and obviously like Giannis missed the free throws on opening night, but had a, a, he played awesome on Monday night this past week. I, I mean, everybody plays awesome against Detroit, I guess, but Milwaukee has the best SRS again. They're four and three. It looks like they're starting to figure it out. Middleton's been really good. DJ Augustine looks like he's finally kind of getting his sea legs under him. Like it's pretty clear Milwaukee's the team to beat in the East. The Sixers, I think are real though. Like I, I've watched, you know, being in the Philly area now, like I've actually watched I think they're six and one. They're the only team in the NBA with one loss at this point, right? Because no, Phoenix yeah. lost. I mean, and it's a formula that kind of makes sense. Like everyone wants, you know, they added a bunch of shooting and that, that was supposed to be the difference. But I think like the true potential of this team was like, we could be a defensive monster just based on Simmons and Embiid. And they're up to number one in defense. They're holding yeah. people under a hundred per a hundred possessions. And, um, now, and I will sort say, of, and real quick, they've played 
a super easy schedule. Like probably the, I don't know if they've played the easiest schedule in the NBA, but they have played an absurdly easy schedule. Like Wizards, Charlotte twice, the Knicks, the Cavs, the Magic twice, or the Magic once, and then Toronto, who's been bad. So I, I don't know that they've played. Right. I think the yeah, Knicks are the only team they played over 500, which again, even five games in, seven games in is somewhat indicative of yeah, the you're teams right. that they played. I mean, Washington, Knicks, Cavs, Toronto, Orlando, Charlotte, Charlotte. Um, Orlando's five and two, but like they're not very good. Yeah, you're right. Um, so that's a concern. But I think that is their formula. Like, hey, let's have a really good defense. Wouldn't it be amazing if no one's going to care because he's not like a major contributor? But there's there's a slight chance, let's say 10% chance, maybe less, 5% chance that Danny Green could win his third title in a row with different teams. It's and it's fourth overall, I think, or fifth overall. I mean, because he's, yeah, he he's won with the Spurs as well. I mean, that would least, be pretty amazing. Yeah, he had at least two with the Spurs. So I think he's got four titles. Does he have four yeah. titles? Yeah, so, so theoretically three in a row because he was on Toronto, and then <laughs> he's following the title, the Larry O'Brien trophy and the I, Lakers. I do not think the Sixers are... I 5%? Would, yeah, that, that seems realistic. I, I would say that. What is that it on Is it... I don't know if they've updated them. Why don't you look at that while okay. I make a point about the Sixers here really quickly? One of the things I will say about the Sixers, and again, I, I did, it was very quick to point out their easy schedule, but like part of what you do as a good team is you just beat bad teams, right? Like that's just what you do. And so like they have convincingly beat Charlotte the last two games. They beat the Magic in a game where like it was 40 in the first half. You know, they they played Toronto pretty close. Lost to Cleveland, who we think is actually pretty good, but Embiid didn't play as a late scratch. They crushed the Knicks, and then they beat the Wizards in a close game where they played poorly in the fourth quarter. And so it's like the signs of the Sixers being good, I think, of, of taking care of business against teams that you're definitively better than. Like, that's a good thing to see because this is a Sixers team that we watched just stink it up on the road against teams that they were way better than in the past. So I think seeing that plus stylistically they've started to play a little differently like Embiid is now a screen and dive guy which is awesome because he was never that before Tobias Harris very clearly likes playing for Doc Rivers I think he just won Eastern Conference Player of the Week which doesn't mean a whole lot but he's now turned into kind of a one direction driver there's no more of this like Tobias Harris has the ball on a ball screen like or Tobias Harris is like coming off dribble handoffs it's more let's get him the ball in open court let's get him the ball where guys are closing out and he looks like a way better player at the four under Doc Rivers than he he's looked, you know, in the year and a half he played with, with Brett Brown. And I think that's a big, big key is when you're paying someone 180 million to get that third banana production out of him. You know what I mean? Yeah. I just looked it up. They are 16 to one. So kind of what I said between five and 10%, it's about six or 7% chance according to Movada of winning the that's title, pretty, but that's, that's notab- pretty good. Notably different than to talk about Brooklyn. Brooklyn's still four to one four five to one to win the entire NBA title. They're the second highest or the second lowest, however you want to view it. So I don't think there's that big of a difference between those two as sort of like the tier B contenders. I mean, if you looked at, you know, based on basketball reference, if you, if you looked like they would say that the Sixers have been the second best team in the league up until this point in time, I think it's bucks, Sixers, Pacers. And then I think the Lakers who have just kind of quietly played really well. I do want to shout out LeBron really quickly. And I want to get your take on this. A thousand straight games of double figure scoring. Obviously, the longevity is impressive, but is this like it was a big deal? Like it was on the ESPN bottom line. NBA TV was talking about it. Like, do do we are we just numb to like LeBron doing things like this? Like, 
a thousand straight games. It's thousand. Many- yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's just a lot of games too, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah it's I don't impressive. really care that much. I don't think it's that big of a deal. It is. It is cool. Like, I just think like we do get kind of normalized to LeBron just doing these like ridiculously high volume things over a, a years and years and years. And we're just kind but of like, you know no. what else helps? He must be aware of that streak. Cause you think maybe, um, you know, an average player like would be in a blowout and not really care or whatever. The other thing that really helps him in streaks like that is the fact that like he doesn't foul and he doesn't call, he's never called for fouls. He's never in foul trouble. Yes. He doesn't foul. You're right about that. (laughs) He never fouls. He, he, according to, Hey, the refs who I'm trust 32 (laughs) minutes a game, he is drawing 1.1 fouls a game as like an active, like star player. That's quite pretty. That's 1.1. That's pretty crazy. Are you serious? How is that even possible? He, yeah, he may, though, and he hits his lowest. He's not very. What was he drawing in like 2013 when he really was like a very? He's active. never been over. Never been over 2.3 per That's game. A, I wouldn't wonder. I wonder if they could look up how many times he's actually fouled out a game. Yeah, do you remember? You probably do remember. You remember a couple of years ago? This is probably not a couple of years ago at this point. It's probably like 2012 or 2013. But they played the Pacers in the playoffs, and he fouled out on like a charge call against Roy Hibber yeah. where Roy Hibber jumped and LeBron, it was like the biggest deal because he, he like, he just never fouls out. Like he plays in tons of games. He plays tons of minutes and he never fouls out, but I'll never forget LeBron. Like looking at the refs, like how could you call this on me? Cause it just doesn't happen like this. He's an impressive dude though, man. And in the Lakers, like they're just rolling along, right? They're five and two tied with the Clippers and the Suns. The Clippers, obviously they're kind of like, advanced stats are muddled by getting blown out by a hundred to Dallas. But it's like we said, like the Clippers and the Lakers are the clear two best teams to beat in the West. And I think that Phoenix probably needs well, to be taken Do you think seriously. this is realistic? Shout out to basketball reference again. There's so many amazing stats they have. If you look at all of the fouls that LeBron has drawn and how many he's committed, it's about five to one. In terms of he draws five times as many fouls as he that commits. About, I guess that's possible. That sounds about right, considering how often yeah. he gets fouled. And and honestly, like LeBron is one guy that early in his career, you could beat on him a little bit and like refs would let it happen. But it was never like, you know, Shaq. I, I think like Shaq got fouled on like every play. I, I truly believe that like the way that Shaq was officiated was like the biggest joke. And people say like LeBron stands kind of think that about him, but LeBron has always gotten a fairly good whistle. I, I think like late, like 2010 on, it doesn't feel like LeBron has, like you've been allowed to be really physical with LeBron. You know, it, it feels like he gets a lot of calls. But as we've watched the last couple of years, like he's not going to the rim as much anymore. You know, he's not drawing right. fouls at the rate that he used to. And so he's, not, he's fouling even less though, to his credit. And maybe that is like something to do with like Anthony Davis. If you want to be like realistic, like he can handle like the cleanup work and all this kind of, sit around i don't have to block try to block as many shots i don't have to try to get as many steals anthony davis also fouling at a career low rate through six games he, <laughs> good he's, to be king huh he's fantastic anthony davis i uh i sent you a text you refused to engage with me but i said do you think anthony davis is the best player in the nba and you you just sent the thumbs down you just thumbs down to the text on on the iphone which means <laughs> um, you weren't interested hardened. Nah. Well, Harden, Harden's four to one, by the way. That's another guy you think would draw a lot of fouls, and he does, obviously. He um, plays in very of, Matador-esque defense from time to time, so it yeah. does, it does so, make sense. Um, so, th- yeah, the Lakers look good. Sixers look good. 
Um, I guess my question is, do you think Phoenix is, do you think Phoenix is good? Well, do you think Phoenix is the third best team in the West? Well, they're five and two as of this recording. Top 10 in offense, top 10 in defense, top 10 in SRS, which you like to cite, which is like sort of schedule adjusted power rankings. I guess so. I mean, well, hmm. are they top three team? Denver we'll talk about, but they're two and four. They're slipping. D- Dallas has not taken that, you know, 60 win team leap that we some thought would happen. You know, Houston's kind of middling around right now. I guess you'd have to say it's either them or Utah. I think they're right in that conversation. I mean, they're definitely more legit than not, right? I mean, this is like definitely a winning team. For sure. I think they're, I think you're right. It's, it's weird. I would still include Denver in this tier. One of the problems, Denver's offense has been tremendous, right? They're defensively, they've just been absolutely atrocious, which makes me think like when we talk about them in a second, like as a James Harden suitor, it doesn't really make a lot of sense uh, because their issues are, are not in, in an area that he improves you. But I would say like Phoenix seems very calm, like very strongly in that Portland, Utah, maybe maybe Golden State, if we think Steph is going to be this guy the rest of the year, which I do really want to buy Steph stock. I think that the MVP odds on Bovada for him are pretty good. And I, I, I do buy that Steph is going to score a ton of points. But I think Phoenix is like, you could credibly argue that Phoenix is better than any of those teams, right? That, that are in that yeah, like, and like the Dallas for sure. I don't know why I'm obsessed with foul stats now. Cameron Payne, backup point guard, 18 minutes a game is drawing two and a half fouls a game. I mean, fouling two and a half times a game, twice as many as LeBron. I don't know how you, Cameron Payne, two and a half fouls a game in 18 minutes. Things, How's that possible? One of the things about Phoenix I think that's pretty interesting is they have, I was a year, I, I guess I was a year early on Cam Johnson. He's He's been a pretty good player for them this year and, and, as a foreman, kind of as like a swing foreman, if you will. But like, they've really drafted pretty freaking well. Like, well, I think Bridges, Mikhail is, Bridges is like, he's really you know, good. I, I think I said this last year after watching him guard Luca, and I'm like, man, you couldn't ask for much. You couldn't draw up a better defender um, just for all these wing guys. And I, you know, I didn't see the game against the Clippers, but Kawhi went like five for 22 or something. And I was wondering how they were guarding him. Was it Mikel Bridges? His arms are just so freaking long. It does look like a <laughs> like a typo or something in like Clippers, God's like workshop. The Clippers game was interesting though because they were getting blown out. Like it was, I want to say it was like twenty at half or something, and they and managed to cut it down to five. And then they won. Paul George, your guy, way off P. Actually, uh, his first really good game of the year. But yeah, it, it's and, like it Mc- got chirped. Therapy about it. Um, oh, he's so ridiculous, he, man. Like he's like embraced just being disliked i think it's weird because he was the guy that never liked being you know he, he always wanted to be like a star and now he's just kind of just taking this like, yeah like i everyone hates me it's fine i hate everyone too it's weird right like he's <laughs> he's so fickle paul george i, I mean, love the, him. the suns are definitely a threat to win a round i, I mean so. not only do i think they're going to make the playoffs i think they're a legitimate threat to win around if we're saying the third best team i don't think they're gonna, i don't think they're on the level of the lakers or clippers but I mean, for a team that was what, like winning 20 games a few years ago, it's really their sort of rebuild. They did it really well. I mean, and it was such a mess a few years ago. Remember, they hired like Igor Kokoslav for like a year and they were getting such bad press and they had GM problems and the owners always getting flack. And I think it's just, you're a big owner guy, like how much the owner can affect them. And I'm less so because I'm like, 
everyone hates Robert Sarver, but hey, you draft a couple stars and then you bring in another star. It doesn't seem to matter. You know, he it seems is, like they can still turn it around. Well, we'll see if he doesn't meddle and screw things up, right? That's that's part of this. We're seven games into the year. I mean, they have seven guys averaging double digits. And then I think Campaign, who's like revitalized his career there as a backup point guard, pesky defender, foul machine. Pesky defender, foul machine. <laughs> yeah. He's, it's he is like a bad gambler because he's like, he, he's not drawing steals either. He's just fouling a lot. Here's my thing. One of the things with Mikel Bridges that's like so interesting, and I, I do think you'll be able to write a book about like the process era Sixers have already had a book written about them. But like for years, everyone was like, oh, the Sixers need a wing. They need a wing shooter. Remember they drafted Mikel, who played at Villanova, right? So he played in Philly. They drafted Mikel Bridges and then flipped him for Zaire Smith. When like you, you could have just drafted Mikel Bridges and developed him yourself next to like Embiid and Ben Simmons and all those guys, and now Bridges is like a lock to be an overpaid wing player, right? Like he's a lock to get like an Auto Porter type deal. I think if if he continues, yeah, no, to, definitely, he is like the prototype of like those sort of blend in like three and D guys. And he, you can and give him thirty five minutes a night. He's shooting forty six percent from three. I'd expect that to go down, but he's a forty percent three point shooter, and he's going to score twelve to fifteen points a game and guard your best wing player. Like that guy's so valuable. You know, you know what I think really helped the Suns and he'll maybe get credit at the end of the year and coach of the year voting, but like hiring Monty Williams, I think they gave him like a five-year deal, like totally yeah. committing to him. And he's just like a really well-liked guy. I think added a lot of like legitimacy to them as a franchise and kind of like Ghostbuster style, like cleared out the bad mojo in the building. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Cause if you look at this team, you know, Aiton and Booker have both had some motor concerns in the past or like, do they care more about stats? Do they care about winning? But then you bring in a guy like Chris Paul, who we know what he values. We know how he treats young guys. We know how he brings guys along. Then you also bring in Jay Crowder, same way. Like Jay Crowder, I would never consider like an amazing vet in the NBA, but as, as vets go, like he's a, he's a tough, like winning player. Like he plays on teams that win games. And I think like those guys really matter when your team is ready to take the next step, right? When you have, like, when you do what Detroit is doing, right? When you have, like, let's bring in Mason Plumley and, like, let's bring in Jeremy Grant and, like, that's great. Those guys are just, it doesn't matter because your team stinks. But Phoenix, like you said, you, you bring in Etwan Moore, like, you, you sign a guy like Frank Kaminsky who's been around for a while, but you, you have these guys that are just, like, ready to help you win games and go to the next level. And to me, Phoenix has done a really good job of that. They hired Monty Williams, who, like you said, is really well-liked, and then they brought in two like very heavy minutes, like winning players in Crowder and Chris Paul. And I think that really matters. I think that really helps teams like Phoenix because, you know, Bo- you know who's Booker really fun to f- go ahead, go ahead. No, I was gonna say, you know, who's really fun to follow on Twitter. If you're inclined to do that sort of thing. Um, the former Suns GM, Ryan McDonough, who oh, he's is good. not well liked. He, um, you know, he drafted Marquise Chris and Dragon Bender and didn't generally do a great job. He's still like active. You know, I don't think he has another job. He's like a podcast guy now too. Love it. And, Love it. <laughs> so you can follow his podcast. And he has some good insights once in a while. And he'll talk about his picks and, you know, players he likes. Um, he posted something where it was like a meme of like the comparing them to like the process Sixers. And in a way, kind of... T- taking credit for like this sort of master plan to like tank and get these top level talent. And then like 
the other fun reason to follow him is every comment he makes, every post he makes, it's just like Suns fans like hate him. And they're just like, you didn't do anything. You drafted Marquise Chris. Like you're terrible. Go shoot yourself. You know, you know what's like, funny? This poor guy. Like I, I felt bad about Marquise Chris, ter- like breaking his leg because he's actually turned into like a rotation player in Golden State. And it looked like he never had a chance to do that in Phoenix. Like it just was never going to happen. But also, it's real tough to compare yourself to the process era Sixers when your best player wasn't Devin Booker like the thirteenth pick. Yeah, like, and it kind of like felt for them. And Aiton was the top. I mean, I don't think he drafted Aiton, but he was top pick over Luka yeah. Doncic. You know, it's not yeah, like after they, did they a had lot Igor right. too, right? They had Igor, and they yeah. still took Aiton. Could you imagine Luka and Devin Booker together? They'd get zero stops. But boy, no, they- yeah, I don't know if they'd work. But, but all right, so let's talk Johnson, about the just, Let's talk so about legit, and teams, so right. Disappointing yeah, so teams. Those are real. We're stamping those. Philly and Phoenix is like real, obviously. I mentioned last week. I don't think the Knicks and Cleveland are. Um, so is the real disappointment real? Let's, I think the two that we have to talk about are Toronto, who's one and five right now, and, Dallas, and Denver, who's Denver, two and four. So which of those would you like to go for? I want to talk about Denver. I think they're less of a panic move type team. Like I think Denver's okay. I, I again. Denver's two and four. They've played pretty good teams, which is one thing to consider, right? They've been without Michael Porter for a couple games, but they've played Phoenix. They've played at Sacramento, and Sacramento's not horrendous, although they have gone 0-2 against Sacramento. They've played the Clippers. They did beat the Rockets, but I think Denver's fine. I think they'll figure it out. They have go through these stretches where their defense is just terrible, and they always seem to like rebound to kind of like – average to not terrible right like to the 15th d they are currently i believe 29th and d which is very bad they are fourth and oh i guess for me i just wonder what denver thought their identity was going to be this year because it's pretty clear that like they let tory craig walk they re-signed paul Millsap. they did that jeremy grant chose to go elsewhere and they were better without jeremy grant in the playoffs last year anyway but like Denver, I think, just has to figure out, like, what's the best way for them to get stops? And and how do you do it with new guys? Like, Jermichael Green's not been particularly good defensively for them, and I do think they thought he was going to be a pretty good defender. So I just wonder if I, if you're Denver, like, I don't, I don't think they're trade for Bradley Beal, trade for James Harden, like, panic in Denver right now. I don't. I just think they need to figure out, like, See, all right, I'm, how I'm are we going to guard? I'm more anxious. My wife says I'm anxious, and, and maybe I am, about Denver, too. And for two reasons, you mentioned the defense is just bad and it got bad at the end of last year and it's continued to be bad. Um, And that might not be reversible. You know, we've talked about Michael Porter having issues there and their stats without Jokic are really bad defense. Really? Oh man. He's like by far their most impactful defender. Like not having Mason Plumlee, maybe that hurts. Definitely. Um, The other reason I would be legitimately worried and we, he's kind of been a punching bag for us, but like you talk about least valuable player potential. Gary Harris, like stinks. Gary Harris, just has been terrible lately. He's very bad. You're exactly right about that. Like, like that, that'd like be the his trade. Defensive stats are terrible. And let me just read you his offensive stats. Defensive stats terrible. He shot three for twenty four from three. That's twelve percent. His per, you know, no one uses that anymore. But if you remember, per is usually like fifteen. It's like a decent barometer, right? Like it's not amazing, but it's fine. No, but the average, I think, it's supposed to be fifteen. His per of four point three zero four point three, forty one percent true shooting, which people use more often. He's been a negative player according to uh, all defensive stats. I mean, all advanced stats. Like he's he's hurting the team, and he, you're trotting him out there as a starter playing thirty minutes a night. 
I don't understand. And again, I'm not an NBA head coach, nor will I ever be an NBA head coach. You, you, you know, like this happens in every sport, right? Where there's a guy that just plays a ton of minutes and you're like, what is going on? I, I think about this with Taysom Hill in New Orleans all the time. And I'm like, what, what is like, does Taysom Hill have like nude photos of Sean Payton or something? Like, how does he keep getting in the game on like third down and six in a big spot instead of Drew Brees? But like, why? Mike Malone just will not sit Gary Harris. He's played yeah, 31 I think he's minutes. He's like grandfathered night. in, like, because he did have a couple of good years and he got a pretty big contract and he averaged 17 points one year and shot well from three. And it's like, he's a three and D guy. He's great. He and they, they, the, the problem is he hasn't worse, made a shot. Worse. He hasn't made a shot in like forever. Right. Like he just, had, when's the last time he shot 35% from three? It's like three years now. Right. Since he got hurt. Yeah. It's, it's been 34, 33 down to 12 this year. And it's like the Eric Gordon thing. It's just like, they're sort of undersized shooting guards and then there's cold shooters. And it's like, what are you giving me here? If you're, if you're like a shooter who doesn't shoot well anymore. They both kind of have similar looks. You notice that they kind of have like wide heads, big heads. Yeah, that's something to do with it. He's like significantly thinner than Eric Gordon. I love Eric Gordon. The Eric Gordon experience is fun because the games he makes shots, you realize he can actually drive to the hoop too, and you're like, wow, this guy. I can see why people love. I think they they have they have these big heads, and (laughs) especially Eric Gordon, and it's cold, so it's just like. It it's, takes a lot for him, them to heat up. You know, it's like a big balloon or something. You need I, to like really add a lot of air to get it I just going. can't, I can't stress this enough about Gary Harris, right? And maybe this is an argument because like, let's just say you trade for James Harden or Bradley Beal and you're just not playing Gary Harris. Maybe you're a lot better. Do you know how hard it must be on this Nuggets team to be a bad offensive player? If you're not Jokic or Murray, you just get so right. many open shots. Everybody gets open shots. And Gary Harris is like, other than Kelly Oubre, Gary Harris has probably been the worst offensive player in the NBA. It's it's but, it's yeah, and Kelly Oubre has been playing a little better. So I think I think Gary Harris is jumping past him, and and it makes you think. You talk about James Harden. You know the swings from going from right now he's been one of the worst starters in the NBA. There's no there's no way around it. And no, yeah, if you could somehow plug in James Harden, it's like an improvement by like you know going from like a two out of ten to a nine out of ten at one spot. Like that would massively change their team. Mm-hmm. The Bavada at Odds Podcast. My name is Seth Everett. I'm joined by the head odds maker at Bavada, Patrick Morrow, as we break down the latest odds in all the major sports. NFL week to week as the playoffs are upon us, we'll break down the latest odds plus the futures. It's the Bavada at Odds Podcast. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. I would I would argue too that the one thing that Denver should panic about is like Jokic is so good. Like we we talk about Jokic a ton and and he's so fun to watch. Like he's just tremendous. But how long is Jokic going to be an MVP type candidate, right? And like how long is Jokic going to be a top 10 player in the NBA? And I don't know the answer to this. Like I I think there's a chance it's a long time, but there's also a chance that like his body kind of just betrays him and he's not quite as quick. And I know how crazy that sounds cuz he's so slow. But even a guy like him losing half a step, it, it might be a big deal. So if you're Denver and it's like, all right, well, I could say you get to like one and seven or one and eight, you, you probably have to do something because you don't want to burn a year where Murray and Jokic are both in their primes, right? And right. that's where... And it's sort of like the Sixers thing because it's like Jokic is 35, turning 36 in a month. I'm sorry, 25, turning 26 in a month. Like this is their prime. I mean, everyone yeah. views them as like young players, but like Embiid's in his prime. Jokic is in his prime right now. Like this is sort of your window, even if you think you're a young team. 
I want to ask you this. And again, I want to preface this by saying like, we are not a pro per podcast P E R, if you will. It's, it's a staff that was great when it first came out and it's just not as good anymore. Like there's things that are better. There are a lot of players. Let me see how many players are qualified. There are, I believe a hundred and there's 441 qualifying players for P E R this year, as in they've played enough minutes. Gary Harris is third to last. He is 439th in per. Can you name me the two players that are worse? Oh, I, I bet you'll get one of them. I don't, I doubt you'll get the other. <laughs> well, the, the one of the problems with PER as a stat was like it judges a lot like based on activity. Correct. So if you're just like doing a lot, it helps you. And so that's why it's not great because like the three and D guys who stand around are not. But if like, you're doing do a lot of well. but if you're doing a lot of bad, you rate bad very stuff. badly. You so, know what I mean? We'll see. I would have said Gary Harris at the top, but like Ubre's heated up a little bit, right? Yeah, Ubre is uh, Ubre is sixteenth from if if you have it 16th. sorted by worst per, he has the sixteenth worst per. <laughs> the worst in the league. Um, this has been a guy that you, you have collect. You have like not been a fan of this year. You have repeatedly berated <laughs> him despite his age. Despite his age, um, does that mean he's old or young? No, he's young. Oh, okay. Um, hmm. It's Killian Hayes. He has a negative. Oh, per, okay. Negative. Good. I should have gotten that right. I, I don't know that I've ever seen a guy qualify for a PER with he a has negative, negative PER. Negative one point one is, is Killian Hayes' PER right now. How is that possible? <laughs> oh man, his stats. His offensive box plus minus is the worst in the league by a by three full points. Like I don't mean to laugh. It's just that it's these numbers are so yeah, bad. Yeah, look at this. Uh, it's minus nine. Yeah, nine point three. And then the the second worst per in the league is JJ Redick, which is quite surprising because he's yeah. a guy that doesn't do a lot of bad things. So that might be a very telltale sign that JJ is on the well, way. And people out. might like, what does that mean? Like I'm looking at the box plus minus for Killian A is minus thirteen. They're suggesting that your team is 13 points worse per 100 possessions when Killian Hayes is on the court versus like an average plug. Versus, yeah, versus an average player. That's correct. Versus that's the lowest I think I've ever seen. I mean, again, it's been, super early. It's not been a lot of games, but I. I, I so but I you know what's you, crazy about that? Wait, well, not to pick on Killian Hayes, right? He's 19. Whatever. He's a young guy. Yeah, you know, and totally makes sense. You know, throw him out there, see how he does. <laughs> the idea of we're gonna draft a guy who's going to be one of the worst players in the NBA to start because most rookies are right. Most rookie point guards. Yes. And then pair him (laughs) with this expensive veteran team. That's so weird that I just paid Jeremy Grant 20 million. I have Blake Griffin for 30 million. I gave Mason Plumlee 10 million. Like what's the logic there? And to start him like draft Hillian Hayes and keep him on the bench. Why are you playing him and letting him like sink your team? If you're, have a bunch of vets on the team. I think when you do that, and again, we'll get to Toronto in a second and we'll finish off on Denver in the last 10 minutes or so. But when you, when you do that, I think you're trying to like protect your point guard, right? Like you're trying to, you know, they want to bring Derek Rose on the bench. We know this De- De- Detroit's, I don't know what the hell they're doing, but I think when you put Hayes in with vets, right, it's like, you want it to be a little easier on him. Like you want him to have some guys to take the pressure off him to not have That's to not do working. so much. It's not working. I don't know what, because a guy, a guy like Killian Hayes, he was what the fourth pick. Is that right? The fifth pick, the fourth pick. No, I think it's a little lower. Oh, like the like seventh. Six. Yeah. Six or yeah, seven. Six or yeah. seven. But he, uh, you know, you've said this point before. It's like, look, rookies are, are usually a struggle, especially bad. like these guards. 
and like you see Darius Garland was really bad and he's been a lot better. He's taken a big year. leap. Yeah. It looks like it at least. But you made the point earlier in the draft, like there's really not that many examples of guys who are this bad that turn out who to become, good. yeah, good players. Because I mean, I would bet like, against Darius Garland still because of that, because like the the bad was so bad that unless there's something to point to it, and it's like, hey, if he was never healthy from his knee injury, okay, that's something. But if Killian is Killian Hayes is fully healthy, and this is what we're seeing from him, like the chances that we see a league average player are diminishing by the days. And right. I'm serious. And you know, I want to give a shout out too, because it's way, obviously the guy's 19 has been seven games. It's just, it's so bad that it's just scary. Um, shout out to like Jonathan Cavoni, who I know you're not a huge fan of for draft express ESPN guy. Like he was really negative on killing in Hayes relatively for these reasons. He's like, look, this kid, he knows these guys. He's like, this guy played on a bad team in Germany turned the ball over a lot there. It was not like, I guess the German league is not on par with some of the other leagues. He's like, he's really going to struggle. It's good enough, but it's not like the ACB or it's not like the high level Greek leagues. Like, but the BBL is good. It's a good league. But I guess his team was like, not very good. They were bad. Yes. And they, they couldn't cater to putting up stats for him. And it's like, for everyone like me, you're, you know, you're plugged in, you know, but I'm like Neo. I'm I'm outside the matrix. I'm just operating on my own. Um, it's so hard to like have a really strong opinion on like the German league, Killian Hayes watching highlights. So you do have to like really give these guys like Jonathan Gavoni some respect and, and he's proven to be right. Like more often than not with these international guys. Yeah. And I think like his team in Germany is, has been good before ratio farm is like not bad. I have a good friend who plays for Bonn. And, uh, but the reason, the other reason I like to harp on this is because it would, that was sort of, we mentioned it before. There's a sort of like sparring match between Gavoni and Kevin O'Connor from the ringer yeah, about O'Connor had him, specifically. O'Connor had him one on his board, right? Like he had him number one overall. It's a tough sell at this point. And, and Gavoni called them like a part-time analyst or something like that. And it was like shots were fired. And right now, like Gavoni is winning that war or that Man, battle I, at least. I am here. I just want to say this, like. I really want more like internet Twitter battles between like analysts, right? Like I need Gavoni versus Kevin O'Connor or like Bill Simmons versus Clay Travis or, you know, something like Rashad yeah, it's Phillips. funny that like there should be like a, like a, somebody logging this stuff because there's like no accountability. Like sometimes Todd McShay could be, sometimes when Todd McShay could be wrong. Sorry to interrupt you. Um, Todd McShay could be wrong about like 10 draft prospects in a row quarterbacks. And then like, ESPN will trot him out there to talk about the 11th, like, and just forget about all his bad calls. It doesn't matter. There's no, that's the thing. The the draft analyzing, like once you make it right, like once you're on a site and people follow you on Twitter, there's no repercussions for just being awful. Like Fran Fraschilla, for example, uh, along with just being a, a genuinely dud of an individual has like been wrong about so many international guys on ESPN's draft coverage and nobody cares. Like they still, he wasn't there this past year. So maybe it mattered, but like how many times he talked about like Dragon Bender being like a superstar and like, he couldn't even play in the NBAs and like, he just was not ready to go. And we remember him saying two years away from being two years away with Bruno Caballo. Like that's what you remember, but all he's missed on so many guys that he thought was going to be like, we're going to be superstars and there's just no repercussions for it. All. Well, and there, and I wish they would hold themselves accountable. I'm doing that for myself. Cause I watched, you know, Steph Curry had that amazing game. Um, and then they played Sacramento and he's just roasting. There were some highlights of him roasting Marvin Bagley, who I thought yeah, was going to really be an all-star good. level player. And Bagley just looks awful defensively. And I thought, 
I thought he was like, that was one of the reasons I kind of liked him. I thought he was like fluid enough to kind of be okay on the perimeter. He was so bad defensively in college too, which is why it's trouble. They they played zone to hide him. Well, in my head, I'm like, he didn't see what he could really do because he was in the zone. But like, gosh, he really struggles in space. Same with like Jabari. I don't know what's going on over there. And here's the other thing too. Like, this is what I will say. Everybody gets guys wrong. Like, it's just that the fact that some guys are just better at marketing themselves when they get guys right. You know what I mean? Like, Gavoni is good. Like, he is very good. I have some other, there's some other things about Gavoni in the industry that I think, like, people would tell you, but I'm not going to talk about here. And uh, I just think that he is good, though. Like, he, he, as far as international guys, like, he goes out and watches as much much tape as anybody. And and in-person stuff in the past, too. You Obviously not now, but I just think that, like, marketability is a big thing and like you need to let people know when you get a guy right so like if you said Giannis was going to be a superstar like you should be parroting that take over and over and over and it it kind of sucks for Gavani because if you don't know that he did draft express website and then ESPN like bought them out and he's like their big draft guy now but to your point like he's not like charismatic he's like not a good looking no, guy schmitz he, is the guy that they yeah. use yeah. so his like partner schmitz like they always throw on tv he's awesome he looks much better on tv yeah. Um, he's good though he's good like his breakdowns are good it's fun i mean and this is the thing like when you're they're both really good um Julian and Hayes, then, though it's four. seven games into the year so we're not gonna like lose our minds but him having a negative per on a very high volume is troubling to say the least well can i give you and the other guy todd mcshay i like make fun of like i think he's really bad too but he i guess passes the, like the photogenic test you know who does not hit me the guy that i used to read this is before your time I got into the NFL draft studying this guy's write-ups, and he used to release a book every year. Bill Steele? Joel Busham. I don't know who that is. So he was like the guy. Like he was like the in-depth Mike Mel Kuyper, before Mel Kuyper, I think even. And he would release this prospect book every year, and I would like read it religiously. I used to love getting it every year. And my dad said, this is when I was a kid, he's like, there's a big profile on that guy, Joel Busham, or Bausham, in, in the New York Times. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to read it. And it was all about his personal life. <laughs> and he was, I don't want to smear him because I don't remember exactly, but he was like 90 pounds, I think in a wheelchair maybe, and like didn't leave the house. Like he would just like study film and he was like homebound or recluse or something like that. He had, it seemed like a really sad life. But he was good at football. Good at scouting. Yeah, good at scouting. Not, you know, didn't have a morning show for a reason. I mean, I, I think um, we've gone over the Bovada over under for how much we should talk about football draft analysts. But I think <laughs> I, I mean, it's I'm just saying it's an inexact science. And I wouldn't I wouldn't say that, like, Kevin O'Connor himself should be beating himself up for ranking Hayes first. Not yet, at least. It's it's probably going to be bad because he took a he went out on a limb and it might be. But that's but that's another thing guys do, though. Like, this is why I respect Kuiper, right? Just to use Mel Kuiper. And, and Gavoni is in the same class of like analyst at this point. Like, I never thought those guys did, like, gotcha things to get people to read their big boards, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you you would see Kuiper, like, put a guy kind of from a good team, like, high on his board and then just move him way down as the draft got closer. And there are a lot of guys that do that. But those two guys, like, they don't really do it anymore. Like, Gavoni and Schmitz, like, they're just, like, pretty confident in what they say. Like, they don't move guys way around. Like, they're they're not super reactionary. They don't do gotcha-type stuff and, and, and put guys high on the board to get people to look, you know? And I think that that's – you know, I don't, I'm not saying that Kevin O'Connor did that. I, I do believe that he probably thought Killian Hayes was well, the best stuck player. With it. But it'd be I, easy. You're right. It'd be easy for everybody to have Hayes 5 to 12 on their board and O'Connor to just cave and be like, I think he's the eighth best player. 
even though he really right. thinks he's number one because there's right. well there, there's so much bullshit. of that there's a group think where it's like you see other people's rankings affect your rankings you know if you're an expert in the draft like oh my god wait a minute everyone has um zach wilson from byu Two as top now. five maybe i should have yeah. him in the top five as well uh and so I do give Kevin O'Connor a lot of credit for he ranked Killian Hayes number one early. And in my he, head, I'm like, maybe he knows something we don't and everyone's going to start following that. No one else did. And he stuck with his guns and kept I mean, him at number one. W- let me ask you a question, though. In general, in the NBA draft, if there's no very clear cut number one, and, and I'd say, again, like even after watching LaMelo, Wiseman and Anthony Edwards another couple games, like I'd be pretty confident that LaMelo is not going to be a bad player. I, I think Edwards there's some bad habits for sure. And Wiseman, you know, it's, he's a big, so how good can he possibly be? But like when there's no clear cut number one, how big is the difference between one and six anyway? Right. Like if he went six, like was Kevin O'Connor like super wrong in terms of how yeah, NBA teams I think viewed so. him? I, I think the number one picks are usually like very good. Right. I mean, but I, with some notable misses, but yeah. And again, it's not this, this draft was very, was more similar to like the Anthony Bennett draft in the sense that like there was, a few guys that could go number one. And obviously Hayes was never in that mix. Right. When also it may be this year more than ever, it's really tough to judge misses because there's limited games and, you know, limited yeah. travel. Um, and then in general, like, I think maybe the reason that those number one picks all used to hit is like, Hey, Patrick Ewing was like dominant for four years at Georgetown. Like we have a pretty we strong know. sample yeah, size here. And you don't uh, have that anymore. Cause you're no, not, I, I don't think I, I would be pretty comfortable. This is very clearly not on Bovada, but it would be nice if it was. I don't think we'll ever see a college senior get drafted one overall in the NBA again. It's just not going to happen. Like, wh- why would anyone do that when they realize that, like, you know, thinking about it before, Zan, like nobody cared about like 18 and 19 year olds because they're like, oh, they're not going to be ready. But now you can see that somebody can be your best player at 20 years old. And like, you got to go get that guy. Right. Like, you just yeah. have to do it. So it's you're exactly right. We just don't see a track record in it. You know, I don't know. I hope Hayes improves because it's been his film has you know, been ugly. Like, this might be going too far down the draft rabbit hole, but I was reading something about why the NHL. You follow hockey still or no? Yeah, some. I've heard that their draft picks are are the number one pick is almost always good, except this past year, one and two both really struggled. Um, but and the the reason this article made the case is. Because these kids are like funneled through sort of like a professional training program early on, like youth leagues yeah. are pretty like top notch. And so you're not cast into these random teams like Anthony Edwards on a bad Georgia team. How does that compare to a guy on a good Kentucky team? How does that compare to yeah, the guy in the German league? You don't um, see it. The chances of a Giannis type guy coming in the NHL are, are pretty like slim because like you see guys in the OHL is such a big deal in Canada and like, European minor league teams or, or pro, European pro teams are so good, right? Like, it's, yeah. And I think that's what the NBA is trying to do with the G League is like, if we can funnel all the top guys and then judge them equally, we'll have then to make dra- more informed decisions. Right. And then draft them. And that's, I mean, yeah. that's like when I was working for the Sixers G League team, like, that's what we were trying to do. Like, they just tried to get a bunch of guys in there and they wanted draft eligible guys because those were the best, right? Because you had, you, you could have that draft eligible guy for the whole season. Nobody could pick him on a 10 day or anything. So, like, do you remember P.J. Hairston from North Carolina? Yeah, yeah. He left North Carolina, and he was immediately the number one waiver claim, and Texas Legends picked him up. So Dallas had the whole rest of the year to have P.J. in their system to be like, is this kid really good? Because remember, at the time, he was considered, like, potentially a first-round pick, and, you know, he didn't play super well in the G League, and it's, you know, didn't get drafted. But, like, that's 
that's what we were trying to do in Philly was like, make sure you got guys in your system. You could see how they play for you. You could see how they were as a professional. Cause that stuff's so important. You just don't get your hand held as much. Yeah. And it may be the detriment of some guys. Like there was, um, you know, sometimes it's good to hide. You know, you mentioned that with Dante X. I'm like, he decided not to go to college. He decided to wait a year and then he goes to top five because of like the mystery and like the upside. And, um, and then meanwhile, in the G League this year, they have this like sort of young super team. G League Ignite. Yeah. G League Ignite. They, I was reading about this kid, the Filipino kid. What's the name? Kyle Soto or something? Yeah, Kai Soto. He had some hype, seven footer. And then they're like, he's just not really a first rounder. We'll see. And, we'll see. And, but I'm like, it, maybe he gets exposed by being around all these people. But it's good from the NBA's point of view because they want more information, you know? Yeah. And a guy like that, you know. I think when you see somebody's frame and you see like, all right, what can we work with? You know, I've talked about this guy, Norvell Pell a lot who ended up playing for the Sixers, but like, he just wasn't ready. Like when he came to the G league, you'd see this super long athlete, great timing, like, but just super immature, super weak, like just not ready to play. And it took him four four years. He ended up in like Japan. He was in like the Philippines and he came back across and like actually made NBA money last year, which is pretty cool. But like, that's what you want to see. Like, all right, we got this guy in our system and he's just not ready to be a player. And that could be the kid from the Philippines. Like you're talking about, like, well, I have a question for you as a coach. Cause people change. I certainly, if I was judged as a 19 year old, it'd be, you know, it'd be harsh. You know, I was certainly not a professional person. Um, but in general, your personality changes less, you know, as you get older, like if you're a certain personality at 40, you're going to be that personality at 50. It's just the way it is people's skills, young players' skills develop or regress or whatever. Like how often do you think like it clicks for a guy who didn't try hard or didn't have good habits or didn't have good basketball IQ? How often does like the light turn on? I have no idea. I I, I feel really bad saying this to you, but I think that if you, if you could figure that out, you would make tons of money, Zan, you know, because there are guys where it does click. There are guys where they, they do figure out how to change their play style and how to change their work habits and figure out things that work for them. Right. And it's, but there are plenty of guys where it doesn't work like that. And they're just the same guy. Like I I would ask you this, right. Let's use one of your favorite guys, Josh Jackson. There are a lot of like concerns with Josh Jackson, right. A lot of things people said behind the scenes and now, you know, he's in, he he managed to go to the G league and he got humbled a little bit. And it looks like Josh Jackson's going to be an NBA player for a while. He'll probably not be a star. It's I I would say he's definitely not going to be a star, but like, maybe going to the G league like that really helped him because he never thought that was going to happen. And so maybe if you're Detroit, right, just to get back to Killian Hayes, maybe you send Killian Hayes down for half the year when G league's going to a bubble anyway. So it's not really an option this year, but you know, maybe you do that and it it causes a guy to rethink like how he's playing or or how coachable he needs to be or what he actually needs to work on to make sure that he does. And credit to Josh Jackson for doing that. Cause it's like, you'll see oftentimes the opposite where it's like, Maybe this guy has personal issues too. I don't know. Dennis Smith Jr. You know, it's like he was like seen as the star, had to be humbled and ends up getting traded, you know, kind of bounces on the bench. Like, is he going to push hard to get back in there? It seems like it kind of like shattered his confidence. Yeah, I uh, I was wrong about Dennis Smith. I thought he had a chance to be like Russell Westbrook type star. I really did. And he just, you know, the motor just doesn't exist in the same way. And also Russ is Hall of Famer. Like, it's not fair to compare athletic undersized guard or like athletic guards to him, you know, but I don't know. I mean, it's, I think like that, that part's, it's hard when, when you, you invest in a guy and you're just not sure what's wrong. Right. Like I, I bet you the, the Pistons internal monologue right now is like, all right, well, like we have Killian Hayes and we want to have him for at least seven more years. So like, 
what are we doing wrong too? Like, how do we fix a guy like this? Like, how can we put him in a better situation to succeed when we already, and again, the Pistons are so scattered in what they want to do anyway. But I, I think that like, that's where the pre-draft stuff is so important, but it's also where it's an inexact science. Like you said, you just don't have enough data to be super confident, right? Like think about Anthony Edwards for a second. We've seen these interviews with Anthony Edwards that are super hilarious where we think he's like a funny guy. But if those interviews come out like three weeks before the draft, couple that with the like, I don't love basketball thing, like that could have caused Minnesota to not take him, right? To be like, oh, mm-hmm. he's just a jokester. He doesn't care enough. Like, let's go with James Wiseman, whose interviews were better, right? Like that could really happen. But Anthony Edwards is pretty clear. Like he's just a happy, you know, he's just a goofy kid. Like that's who he is. And that's why, you know, you take 18 year old Zan too. That's a sound like an old man saying that, but like, that's another thing you run into. Right. Yeah. Well, and it sucks for like to judge like Killian Hayes. Cause it's like, he's ni- literally 19. I think he's, he's the playing. youngest, he's the youngest guy, right? Yeah. And it's like, you go to a new country, a huge jump in competition. You're thrown in there as a starter. And it, it's something not to go back to football. It's something we, we talk about a lot with football quarterbacks. It's like, does the early experience, those early struggles help or are you or, or like break you? You know, and like Sam Darnold thrown out there early. He was a young quarterback, struggled and has been regressing. It's like yeah. Josh Rosen, same thing. It's just like, does it help or hurt? And you look at like Tua in Miami, it's like, is this helping him right now to like struggle? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. know. It, I, I mean, Killian Hayes is the fifth youngest player in the NBA. So it's Slenderman, Pat Williams, LaMelo, Anthony Edwards, and Killian Hayes. And so of those guys, Patrick Williams looks like he's pretty good. Anthony Edwards looks like he's definitely got some star potential. Lamelo looks pretty good. You know, there's some issues well, there. And, and but also to like- Killian Hayes' credit versus Dennis Smith, he's like six five. There's more of like a higher floor, I think. Like he could just be a guy, you know. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It's it's that. you know if you're small, it's like then you the bar is a lot higher to be like good. I, I always forget to. To, about not bringing up draft stuff with you because it's like your thing like draft stuff and coaches is like what you love <laughs> the most and so like we bring up draft stuff and go on this like 25 minute diatribe about like drafting and then we never talk about if we think the raptors should trade for james harden or if denver should trade for james harden do you want to well you denver we, i thought we got enough denver toronto do you want to talk about toronto you just want to let's do it really quickly because i think it's so interesting because we talk about you know when you're, you know you know young young players young players and siakam is their star now. And he was like the, he was legitimately good like, last year. He was legitimately good last year. I just want to get that out of the way. Like he was legitimately deserving. Right. Of the second no, but like and he, spot he's year. the guy, like not to give up on these guys, not to overjudge based on youth. And same with he, Van Vliet. Van Vliet was like underdrafted because he was a fourth year guy. Norman Powell, same difference. Like they picked him in the second round where people were like, what are you doing? He wasn't even a great player at UCLA. And he's been a very good player for them. He's going to get paid. Like Chris Boucher was like an older rookie too. It's just not working right now. So why not? It's they're one in five. They're 29th in offense. The offense, with, despite having two of my favorite coaches, Nick Nurse and Chris Finch, is an assistant there now. Um, what's going on? What's wrong there? I mean, I think one of the biggest things is they are not shooting it well as a team, right? So that's that's been one of the biggest things. They're like first in three point rate, and I think they're 25th in in three point percentage. So. That's obviously a big issue. They are still third in three-point makes, which is kind of interesting because we've talked about this before. Like if you you get it up enough shots, you're going to be a plus EV team, but they've very much not been that, right? Their offense has been very bad. They have really, really, really struggled getting to the rim, which I think is 
kind of the writing on the wall for like, is Kyle a little bit too old? Can you, can you still play Kyle and Fred Van Vliet together if one of them can't get to the bucket? And, and the same thing with Siakam. I think in the playoffs last year, we saw a guy who really struggled when defenses were, ca- were catered towards him, right? Like when it's like, okay, we need to stop Siakam. Like we're not going to let him just get downhill and spin to the rim. Like he's really had a hard time, I think, getting good shots. And so that's the one thing you miss with a guy like Kawhi Leonard. And we talked about it, like he can get into the paint and he can get a shot at any time. And Siakam just doesn't have that in his game yet. And, and if he's going to shoot 40% from the field, it's going to be pretty hard for him to be a, a great, great player. And he did have a great year last year, but I think the two things for me are, are Lowry and Siakam. Like those two guys have got to carry them offensively. And then Freddie is very good. And, and like I said, I think, and OG has been pretty good. Norman Powell has been all right. Norman uh, Aaron Baines has been terrible. Boucher has been pretty good, but like, if they're not going to get offense and a high level of offensive efficiency from Siakam and Kyle Lowry, like this team's just not that good. Right. And that's, that's the bottom line. They've always been able to be very efficient offensively over the last couple of years. And that's why to me, this is the team that should really look long and hard about James Harden. We've seen him do it before. I don't know if they have the pieces to do it. Well, you know, it's interesting. Everyone's always like Siakam for Harden, Siakam for Harden. I don't, if I'm Houston, I'm not really into that, but would you trade? I don't think Toronto would do it to be honest. Like it's, you probably want to trade Fred Fred Van Vliet, local hero for, and picks for Harden. I think you have to, right? uh, Here's the thing. One thing about Van Vliet, we've, we've, we're a pro Van Vliet podcast at this point, right? Like there's been enough of like me slandering him and him being very good. Like, I, he's been their best player this year. Like, I, I don't even yeah, think it's been, and, like, particularly close. And the, I would say the one encouraging sign from Toronto is, like you said, shooting a lot of threes, most threes, not many twos. That tends to work. You know, your two yeah. guards are jacking up, like, ten threes a game. I mean, one of the biggest problems has been that, like, Siakam, Norman Powell, and Baines have just been absolute disasters offensively. They've just been so well, Can I ask you this about Siakam? So... I don't know if I'll have an answer. You can ask me anything. Well, because you're a big Siakam guy. You were always into him more than I was. He hasn't been super effective this year. Maybe he's been figured out. According to basketball reference, they played him 93% of the time at power forward with a big center. Mm-hmm. Would it work to play him as a small ball five and then just... You know, like same. I think of that with Bagley all the time. I'm like, I, I don't know why they don't just try it him at the center full time. So I think all the rest of his minutes are at center, right? Is that correct? Well, out of 93%, yeah, the 7% yeah. are at center. I mean, so. I don't, you know, it's interesting. I really liked that small ball lineup for them last year. They, they rolled it out against the Celtics in the playoffs and it seemed to work. I think the problem with Siakam is he's like so slight. It's, it's not a situation where, you know, if you end up playing Joel Embiid, that Siakam can bang in there. He just can't do it, right? He doesn't. You know, Kawhi is big enough to do it and if he, if you have to, but he doesn't do it. And Durant is just so much longer and more athletic. Like it's if you have to do it with Durant, it's it's different. But I I don't know. I think they want those matchup problems with Siakam, right? Like I think they want Siakam to go against a smaller guy. They want him to be able to get downhill and, and get to his, you know. Yeah, I, I think they have to, you know, it's early, six games, but when your offense is 29th, I, I mean it's hard I think because there's like real, look, there's Lowry real signs. and Van Vliet with them of being bad. There's real signs of them not being a good team this year. That's a problem. Denver, I think you can point to a couple different things with maybe an easy fix, but Toronto, like they've got some real issues beyond like, Hey, so-and-so is going to start shooting better. Cause I don't know that. I mean, I would guess Norman Powell is, but I don't know that Siakam and Aaron Baines are. Yeah. That's why I want to mix it up. Cause it's like, and it's hard to go small because 
Van Vliet would be small for a shooting guard and Powell would be, I guess, small for a small forward. And so like your whole team is just small. Well, they're already um, really small in the backcourt that, you know, they're, they're playing yeah. Lowry and Van Vliet are playing 35 plus minutes a night together. So, but like, it, it's just hard when you're Siakam's, you know, making 30 million, 33 million, 35 million, 38 million in the last year of his deal. And if it's like, he's not a star, he needs to be an all-star at that number. Yeah. And, and they right just pay- now he would not be. You know, and they just paid OG, like they just gave him $72 million, which is a pretty reasonable deal for a wing defender yeah, who can make good. an open three. But, like, I mean, the, the biggest problem is, like, you need Siakam to be a star, like you said. Kyle's been good, not great. Fred's been, Fred Van Vliet's been very good. OG's been about what you'd expect, and then they've gotten almost nothing else, right? Like, Stanley Johnson is horrific. Alex Len has been very, very bad. Chris Boucher has been good. He's he's actually been pretty good. But again, like they're not as good defensively as they were before because you miss Gasol and you miss Ibaka. And I just, I just think that I think you can hold serve for like another two weeks and you can check it out and be like, all right, maybe these guys will regress. But I mean, if you just look up and all of a sudden you're two and 10, like, yeah, it's a shorter season. It's, it's hard to do it. And I'm not saying that like this is the only deal they can make as a deal for Harden. Like maybe they have the pieces for Brad Beal. Like maybe the Wizards would be more inclined to take a guy like Lowry in the last year of his deal. You know, I, I don't think they would, but I, I don't think that the t- sky is falling for Toronto. I think they'll be a winning team, but Do you? if you look at the, you know, the eighth seed, which seemed like so easy, Orlando's been pretty good. Atlanta has been pretty good. Yeah. Um, it's the not going to be like Knicks a cakewalk. The Knicks are not drawing dead, by the way, like Thibs is going to run his guys into the ground, but he's been clearly very good for that team. Like the Knicks are not going to be free wins. Like they, the Knicks could go 500 and it wouldn't surprise me. Like there are, better teams it looks like indiana is going to be pretty good right so like all of a sudden you, you start to fall into that spot where you're like all right well we're the 10th spot but you're well, gonna- and that's what scares me from denver's point of view not to jump back there because it's like there's not much of a difference in the west between the third seed and the sixth seed right and so like if you have a bad start suddenly you're you're seventh seed playing like the Clippers in the first round and you're in trouble. Now, and the good thing too, although is they, they beat got them the last little, year i guess the good thing is you got the little play in tournament too so you got to get to the ninth seed and it seems realistic that Toronto is one of the nine best teams in the East. But I think it, so. See, I, I think they'll, they'll end up at like the sixth spot or seventh spot, to be honest. I mean, the problem is, and again, we've only, it's been six games, so we don't have enough data to like really look and see if they've outplayed their expectations, but it's, they, they've kind of just played like a bad team. Like they've just, like I watched them against the Sixers and it, they looked good enough and they just looked not great. And I think this was what we thought last year, right? That they were going to be good, not great. And that's probably not going to be good enough at this point in the East because there's a bunch of teams that are right in that bucket. Yeah. This, this road trip will be interesting. Phoenix, Sacramento, Golden State, Portland. That could be two and two. That could be zero and four. You never know. I wonder if not being in Toronto is a big deal. I don't, you know what I mean? Like I, it's yeah. like they're playing where in Tampa, See, so shots fired at Tampa is where my wife's from. No, it's just, it's not that. It's just that like, you know, you're not, you're away from home and it's just different. Like you're if, loading up on grouper sandwiches. Have you ever had a grouper sandwich? I mean, I've heard of grouper. Let me ask you a question. As of what we've seen so far with James Harden, if you were going to go to Bovada and set the odds of him being traded at this point in the year, what would you say? Well, you know, that was going to be our whole theme in the podcast is James Harden trades because Brian Windhorst got us all worked up in a frenzy that it's going to happen any minute now. I think, why does Houston need to rush? They don't have their own pick. They could Who's ride trade? this out, see if Who? they're... 
And who's trading for him is the other question. Like there aren't a lot of like Philly's definitely not doing it now. Right. So if it's not Brooklyn or Toronto or Denver, and it doesn't really make a lot of sense for Denver. Like I think Miami maybe is still the most likely to me. Cause it's like that'd hero. Be that'd be fun. And you know, people have mentioned it, the hero and, and Duncan Robinson. It's like good offense. I don't think it's good enough defensively. Hero hype might be at all time high. Did you, you know? By the way, did you happen to read John Hollinger's like free agency preview for 2021? He predicted that Duncan Robinson is going to get somewhere in the neighborhood of guess, guess how much he said. Well, he's I'm like, just thinking like, Davis Breton's got 20 million. He, so yeah, he said like a hundred million ish is not out of the question for Duncan Robinson because he defends just enough, I guess. That's insane. Yeah, well, if Davis Breton's gets 20 million, Duncan Robinson should get 20 million. Yeah, I don't, I don't um, disagree. I just, I just, just was like Seth, you know, Seth Curry gets paid like $8 million a year. And it's like, it's pretty good. It seems Seth like Curry. massive underpay. Yeah. I, the other team that I wouldn't rule out. And again, I've said this before, but if Houston is really just trying to like shave money, I, I still wonder about Golden State. I don't think they should trade Wiseman for Harden, which originally I would have said like, yeah, definitely do it. But if Steph's going to be this lively and he and Draymond look yeah. so good on offense. I and don't also think- like, you know, we were writing him off as dead last week. Yeah, it's, they, been, it's been since we like said. the signature game of the year so far. Well, we said, like, if they get Draymond back and he looks the part, and he does not look good as a scorer, but he looks really good defensively, and he looks really good as a creator with Steph, and that's that's a big deal. Like, it's – Golden State's one to watch, right? They're four and three as of our recording, and if Steph – I mean, Steph, like, legitimately, he still may be the best guard in the NBA. It's just that we haven't really gotten to see it over the last couple of years. He's been injured. They've had a lot of weird stuff go on. He played with Kevin Durant, like, whatever. But I don't think Golden State's a title contender by any means. But in terms of it being a week since we recorded, I'm, I'm, right. I've been pretty it's impressed. Definitely with a swing seen. on them. And yeah. if I, I'd i like to see – it would be fun. I, I think you know, Harden – that was going to be the theme of the podcast, Harden trades. And I we still feel like he's massively underrated. I don't think he's uh, going to get moved right now based on what I've seen. No, I don't think what so I've heard. Either. I just don't, I just don't see it. Like it just doesn't, there's not a lot that makes sense. And then like, he is a guy that should in theory be easy to integrate because he can handle the ball. He's a great passer. Like he can make open jump shots. But again, like we keep hearing that James Harden refuses to play any different way, which I have heard is BS anyway. But like, do you really want to just trade for him and throw him in your lineup and be like, all right, we got 50 games to figure it out when we know how hard that is with high usage guys in the middle of the year. Right. Like it takes a while. So like, are there well, teams that are interested in doing that? See, I, you know, the team I would like to see, like um, New Orleans, Harden and Zion, baby. Um, yeah. I, I mean, what about like Indiana? Cause it's like, they clearly want to play fast. They want to shoot threes. I think he would fit there what they want to do. I don't know if the team would be good enough. I think it still would be. It would be good enough to be a top four team. How ISO I don't know what you trade. You trade Miles ISO, Turner and Oladipo. How ISO heavy have they been? Indiana. I don't have that number. They have not been I, super ISO heavy, which is interesting. And Harden can, you know, guy led the NBA in assists at one point, so he's very capable of not playing that way. But I don't know. Indy makes sense. But I like the pretty good. Brogdon, though. In, yeah. I, but I, Brogdon I, that was, and Harden and Sabonis, I like that. I do think Malcolm Brogdon's going to make the All-Star team this year. That, we don't get odds for him, Bovada, not yet. But I, I've been pretty impressed with Malcolm Brogdon so far this year. I think he's taken a, a big leap as a player in terms of Wait, how well As long as you mention Bovada, can I just say one thing? Yeah, go ahead. And this, because these people listen to the podcast, you know, faithfully. And they deserve something for it. So I want to give my little picture really quick. Um, I'm going to give you this right now. Free money. I'm taking upsets here. 
Colts plus seven. I think they're going to beat the Buffalo Bills. I think the Rams are going to beat Seattle. They're plus four right now. And that's it. Two good upsets for you. Oh, so you're not? I thought you were going to pick Tennessee. No, I, I think Baltimore looks pretty good. I'm telling you, the Rams defense is really slept on right now. I think they it's, have the best their, defense. Their defense is great, and Russ plays bad against the Rams. Like, that's the bottom line. Like, But if it's John Wolford, it's going to be pretty hard to feel super comfortable with the Rams. The Colts pick Yeah, I'm, I'm predicting. Yeah, I mean, projecting Goff in there. But I don't know how that lines four it's minus four and i think they're about even and it doesn't seem like home field matters that much so no and it's but seattle is i think seven and one at home this year so maybe it does i don't know but anyway that's it for us this week a bit scattered as usual as there's so many things to watch so uh no i think it makes sense mtv challenge accepted we know it happens on thursdays or fridays the show is on wednesday nights so listen to zan and dondrick ellison talk about that show uh Zan, you gonna watch the new Bachelor? You telling us about that next week or what? I think I have to, of course. All right, good. So we'll keep we'll, you updated. We'll pencil in ten minutes on that. He is at Zan underscore Ellison on Twitter and Reddit. Email the show Ellison at gmail.com. And uh, as always, it's a pleasure. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Underdog Sports NBA Show with your host Tyler Laurie and Zandrick Ellison. Tune in next week for more NBA storylines and news.